Welcome to episode 13 of the Mikey Swell and Masonator podcast. Today we will be discussing three major topics per usual, but first we'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor, Jungle Shot. Jungle Shot is the most evidence-based pre-workout ever created. If you're looking to get more out of your workouts to uh, potentially increase recovery as well as even immunity, cognitive function, uh, Jungle Shot is for you. Uh, what do you guys say about jungle? Oh my gosh, <clears throat> uh, what can't I say about it? No, but uh, <laughs> it, it gives you everything that you need, nothing that you don't need. Uh, it gives you the caffeine, it gives you the focus, the alpha GPC. Uh, it gives you um, the creatine monohydrate, the the beta alanine, all the things that are going to benefit your workout without giving you any of the jitters or uh, any of the filler, anything like that gives you everything that's scientifically proven jungle shot is going to give you the best pre-workout pump focus make sure you get it take your jungle shot regularly people there we go awesome well anyways uh without further to do the three topics that we'll be discussing today uh we'll be discussing muscle foods muscle foods muscle foods there we go i'm already intrigued uh after muscle foods uh we'll have the uh, mikey swell uh, muscle rant. So today, I'll be ranting on the burden of proof. Burden of proof. <laughs> so this Prove is some- it. yes, exactly. <clears throat> uh, this is something that you'll oftentimes see people get very, very wrong, especially on social media. So what is the burden of proof? Um, how do we address it? How do we get better at it as a society in general? Uh, and then after that. We'll be talking about blood flow restriction training versus uh, drop sets. It's a little new segment called This Versus That. This Versus That. There we go. Yes, we'll be comparing two like forms of training or like forms of other things, maybe with the nutrition or whatnot, and then talk about how those two things are different, how they can build upon one another, what is better, what we would pick. Uh, So that'll be fun as well. Boom. So anyways, let's get started. So the first topic, muscle foods. Uh, So TJ, what are your favorite muscle foods and why? How would you define a muscle food? Well, muscle food is, it's... It's just a food that's going to help build muscle. I mean, it's just uh, not, it's not like a, any type of technical term. It's just uh, foods that you're going to eat that are going to help either, one, build muscle or support that. So when I think of that, I think of, you know, meats for protein. Mm-hmm. And I think of vegetables for support or other micronutrients. Uh, mm-hmm. um, so first, when I think of, like, meat, obviously the first thing that comes up is, is red meat, Just especially in our society. A lot of red meat is going to have a lot of protein it is going to be a little bit fattier than uh white meat that you get probably from poultry uh and fish uh but um you're going to get a lot of protein uh per per uh excuse me per pound uh of red meat um also just kind of going and then you go into white meat something that's going to be a little little bit less fatty something you'll probably be able to eat a little more of without having to worry about getting those ooh saturated fats um and everything like that so uh and then you know I, I think fish fish after that so i think of those three obviously you have your red meat white meat and then your fish white meat obviously can include anything from mm-hmm. from pork uh and anything like that lamb maybe lamb's more red meat but uh <clears throat> i mean those are the ones that i think are going to be the best for for building protein obviously there's going to be vegetables for that but if you're talking about complete protein the easiest way to get it is going to be eating meat, right? 
Yeah, I think so. Um, if you're going to be a vegan, you can still get enough protein, but it's going to be a little bit more difficult due to the amino acid profile of most plant proteins not being as complete. Right. Uh, so shout out to my vegans, especially the ones that are doing it for ethical reasons. I think that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, uh, if you are vegan, you're probably going to want about 10% more protein. Uh, so for most populations, depending on their goals, I typically recommend about 0.8 to 1.4 grams of protein per pound of body weight, um, depending what phase of nutrition you're in. Um, you're right. going to want to probably add 10% uh, to that figure. Uh, for most <clears throat> vegans, to get an optimal ratio of amino acids, essential amino acids, you're going to probably want around 50% of your protein coming from lentils, 25% seeds, 25% grains. Mm. Um, that way you're going to cover everything Cover everything from methionine to lysine to cysteine. You'll get ample sulfuric amino acids. So... That's probably what I recommend. 50% beans, 50, 25 seeds, 25 grains, protein-wise. Mm, um, that seems pretty comprehensive. It doesn't seem... No, it's not... It doesn't seem too insurmountable if you put it like that. Yeah, right? it's... The, plants are amazing for dieting because they're usually very high-volume, low-calories. Mm -hmm. So when I was vegan, uh, I... I made sure I supplemented with protein powder. Right. Pea protein seems to be pretty comparable to whey in the okay. early studies have been done on it. Uh, with that being said, um, there could be potential bias within the studies, and there has there haven't been a whole lot as of yet. Uh, so now, do they add that? No, do they add the other amino acids to make yeah, it Yeah, so they made sure that there's vegan protein powders out there that have a complete essential amino acid profile. Okay. But just because it's complete doesn't mean... So you could put one gram of every essential amino acid in there, but maybe you're filling it with other things that don't matter. So you right. want to make sure not only is it complete, but the dosages of that completeness are ample. Okay. Um, so that, so that's what I recommend there. Uh, but like, like you said, though, going back to meats, uh, taste-wise, I love red meat. Oh, so good. Very nutrient <clears throat> dense, too, as far as vitamin Bs go. Iron, a lot of people are deficient iron. Yeah. Uh, and then creatine monohydrate, you get about two grams per pound of red meat, which is uh, pretty cool. Yeah, uh, it's not bad at all. The red meats that I recommend, because uh, I, I do believe that's probably most optimal for most people to keep their meat, their animal fats at a relatively lower dose. Yeah. Um, as those type of saturated fats have seen seem to increase uh, cholesterol levels, uh, particularly uh, palmitic or myristic fatty acid. Uh, so what I like for red meats is I like uh, petite sirloin. Ooh. Yeah, it's about 23 to 24 grams of protein, yeah. 9 grams of fat per 4 ounces. Okay. So it's pretty lean. Uh, cube steak is lean, but I don't think it tastes very good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what I love red meat-wise, if you're trying to get a good protein to fat ratio, is... Uh, uh, lean beef so at Aldi I know and some other supermarkets you can get ground beef where it's 96% lean yeah that's that's pretty good yeah so it's leaner actually than uh, the turkey and chicken oh. uh, that and you're getting that at Aldi I get it at Aldi yeah All right. like, shout out Aldi go, I think their 93% lean beef is like 4 <clears throat> bucks a pound the 96 is 5 bucks uh, and it still tastes really good if you season it I think it I've right. seen it I think I've seen it also like Mariano's Mariano's has it yeah, so... I don't know about Jewel. Yeah. Jewel's, Jewel or Costco. Jewel doesn't always. Jewel, is, Jewel likes their fatty meats. Yeah. Costco, I remember going there, and I think I remember seeing, like, 80% lean or something. Yeah, 80% lean is not lean. I don't know so about it, that. I don't know. Don't, don't quote me on that. No, no, you're right. I think you're right. I remember seeing 80% lean there, too. So... 
Uh, if it says 90% lean, that means it probably has about 21 grams of protein per four ounces and like maybe 10 or 11 grams of fat. Yeah. So, 90, so that's pretty lean, but if you you gotta remember for every gram of fat that's nine calories for every Boom. gram of protein it's four calories yep. so there's actually math. they're actually equal parts fat and protein when you extrapolate to calories exactly so 90 percent <clears throat> lean is not it, it it's tricky so it's it not is. as lean as it sounds but mm-hmm. 96 is pretty good and again all these numbers they don't really mean much unless you understand the full context of your diet exactly so the way i view macros we're going to get to this in a second is it's like a budget yeah uh, just like the, your calories are like a budget it. and you can spend it how you want to mm-hmm. but just know if you spend more on maybe one food you're going to be able to spend less later on another food yeah so exactly. that type of flexible approach for some people it's not the best approach but for a lot of people they find freedom in that yeah um but we'll keep going. Uh, so kind of moving on to uh, to vegetables for support. Um, I kind of just go to a <clears throat> uh, strength coach, Pavel Satsulin, great, uh, I think founder of Strong First and big kettlebell guy, mm-hmm. um, huge into uh, strength conditioning. And he's just like, you know, meat for strength and vegetables for health. So, I mean, that's kind of how I view vegetables. And, you know, they help support the muscles through um, chemical processes, making sure there's obviously ample amount of micronutrients mm-hmm. that you need for, like obviously, uh, when it comes to salt water balance, um, what 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 foods are better for that, um, so you don't either cramp up or yeah. so you're gonna have vegetables. You're also gonna have fruits for that too, obviously, um, but also which which vegetables are gonna be high in magnesium. You know, mm-hmm. kind of one of the things that we talked about that people need to supplement almost. Because they don't get enough of, uh, you know, what other, what other vegetables are they getting enough uh, colorful vegetables? Colorful, because everyone can go, oh, I'm eating a vegetable today, and they eat, and they eat iceberg lettuce, you know. So, um, what are some of the vegetables that you kind of like to you kind of like to float to or uh, kind of gravitate around when you in your diet? Yeah, so I really like uh, first off green leafy vegetables. Okay. Uh, the reason is. That way I'm getting adequate insoluble fiber. Mm -hmm. Um, Insoluble fiber is going to be critical as far as potentially decreasing my risk of colon cancer going forward. Um, So like spinach? and Spinach is great. Spinach is fairly high in iron. It's not quite as bioavailable as the iron in uh, meat. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, spinach, broccoli. Okay. Big fan of broccoli. Uh, Brussels sprouts. Hmm. Um, I like spinach a lot as far as uh, getting magnesium like you talked about. We talked about it a right. little bit last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so per uh, w- one half cup of uh, boiled spinach, there's 78 milligrams of magnesium, wow. which is already, just put that into context, that is about one-fifth of the daily recommended amount of magnesium for men or uh one fourth for uh, women. And that's one cup. One half a cup. A half cup of boiled spinach. Yeah. So, like, just for context, like, if you, but if you boil it or at least saute it, I don't know if sauteing or putting it on a frying pan does anything, but it shrinks it. You yeah. Know? So it's a if, lot. If you think about like a handful, people that cook, obviously, and people that have done this before, <clears throat> you put spinach and you put it on a frying pan. You obviously all the heat. Uh, 
gets all the moisture out. Yeah, it's mostly water, so it actually ends up being very little. Yeah, it's so you're just like, oh, this down. is what all this. <laughs> yeah, so this is what all this big leaf comes down to when all the water is. Spinach is a cheat code. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's very nutrient dense. Uh, it's nice. And then it, it can I, be added to anything. You don't notice it. Like you said, you cook it down. It's mostly water. Um, I feel like the taste profile is pretty bland. I mean, it's it's pretty mild. It's bland. I really recommend adding it to smoothies. Yeah. As a way of increasing time. fiber, iron, magnesium. Mm -hmm. uh, black beans are very high. Of course, that's a lentil. Right. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, so I love spinach. Love broccoli. Um, I'm a big fan of fruit-wise. I like kiwi a lot. Okay. Kiwi has more potassium than bananas. I think more vitamin E and K than uh, avocado. Wow, okay. More so fiber is... than a lot of cereals. Okay, so this is a big-time... I'm like, a big fan of a big... A low-key superfood. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a fan of big kiwi, so... I'm a, I'm a shekel for them. They, they pay me. That's amazing. You're, you're, you're sure. If I could be sponsored by Kiwi, that'd be pretty. I'd probably choose Kiwi as my fruit to be sponsored. Not by. if you're if you're listening out there. This is this is uh, Mike's little, little advertisement. Yeah. <laughs> Kiwi and Jungle Shot. Hit him up. Hit him up. There we go. <laughs> um, um, what about so, you? Uh, well, I think as far as vegetables, I mean, you kind of hit it on the head. Uh, I, I mean, I love spinach. I love arugula. I love the leafy. They're very easy. I mean, you throw them in a salad, and yeah. you throw a couple other uh, vegetables in there, like tomatoes um, and carrots, and it makes for a nice little garden salad. Um, I, I mean, broccoli. Uh, I love asparagus. Asparagus uh, is great. Things, things that are, I mean... Things are going to be very nutrient dense. Things are going to be colorful. They're going to have some of those phytonutrients in that yeah. are going to help with those those chemical processes in the body that again go back towards that health. You know, yeah. you eat you eat a lot of the vegetables. You eat a lot of the fresh things. Um, try not to cook them too much so too much so you get the most bioavailability as possible. If you cook them long, you should also drink the juices. Yeah, yeah. Uh, why not? That, that why not? Kind of. You know, if you were to saute uh, certain things in oils, you know. If, Use use that to like top like maybe your meat your meat dish like kind of like yeah. a, a little and then it's nice because you have those oils you have the meat you'll get some fat from that some of the yeah. nutrients are gonna be fat soluble definitely gonna be highly palatable definitely yeah. gonna taste real good exactly <laughs> one, one thing that's interesting with vegetables I get asked this a lot Mike do I get the fresh vegetables do I get the frozen vegetables there's that's actually a, that's been, a great question it is and there's been some research on this. And what they found was uh, unless you're getting your vegetables directly from a farm, uh, frozen is actually going to probably be the freshest. Okay. The reason is uh, right when they're picked, they go right into the freezer, and that's going to okay. preserve them. Yeah. Uh, the reality is, from a nutritional standpoint, there's not really a difference between most frozen vegetables and normal. So whatever is going to help you get your vegetables in, do that. Right. Yeah, and obviously, like, <clears throat> I mean, you know, would you agree that obviously if you're going to probably buy something, make sure it's probably in season. Yeah, make sure it's in season. It's going to taste better that way, too. Taste better. Probably, it's probably going to have more nutrients that way. Yeah, potentially. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, you don't want things that are rotting. No. Uh, <laughs> no, you don't want things that are... Make sure you, you wash your vegetables because uh, they could have potentially bacteria on them. Yeah. People used to believe that they wash them due to pesticides. The reality is, we, we covered this earlier in an earlier episode, yep. pesticides are not to be feared. Mm -hmm. um, 
fearing them is like being five years old and fearing the boogeyman. Yeah. It's kind of silly, but but bacteria, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, bacteria, you know, you just... No any coli or... Yeah, just like kind of just like rinse like the, if there's like dust on it or something. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, rinse exactly. it off so you know it's fresh and, you know, then you can prepare, uh, prepare from there. But now let's kind of move on to uh, macro ratios for muscle building. So mm-hmm. when you're prescribing someone uh, their macro breakdown... Well, and and their their focus is muscle building. What's your what, what's kind of the breakdown? Your go to breakdown? Yeah. So typically, if their goal is muscle building, most populations would do well to be in a caloric surplus. Okay. Um, the more trained you become, the more important being in a surplus becomes. If you're a novice, right, and you just go to the gym, you're just going to make gains. Yeah. Uh, the diet doesn't have to be perfect. There's a lot of things that don't have to be as great. But the more advanced you become, the more necessary it becomes to be, cut, to be in a surplus otherwise it's very difficult right uh, so i typically recommend being in around a 300 to 500 calorie surplus from there i typically recommend around 0.9 uh, grams of protein per pound of body weight okay oftentimes i'll tell people one gram because one gram per pound is actually a fair amount and oftentimes if we shoot a little bit higher they end up at that 0.9 okay uh yeah so makes it easier from there uh, to maintain normal hormonal processes. Most people do well with about 0.3 grams per pound of uh, weight uh, from uh, fats. Right. Um, and then the rest is carbs. Now, so now, carbs, now when carbs. you, is that kind of how you mostly figure it out or do you do percentages at all or? No, I mean, whatever those percentages end up being for that individual, okay. that's how I do it. Gotcha. Uh, so for me, if I need... 3,500 calories to gain weight. Um, I probably want about 220 grams of protein right. uh, based on my current weight. So that's 880 calories. I probably want about 70 grams of fat or so. Right. Um, so that's 630. So that puts me at 1510. That gives me 1490 to play with. So that would mean I get about 400. Uh, 22.5 grams of carbs. Okay. Um, so that's about, in total, it's about 50% carbs. Um, it's like 18% fat, I think. Yeah. And then it ends up being like 32% protein. So everyone's percentage is going to be different. Yeah. Uh, for me, I'm more shooting for grams. It's simpler. Right. But usually, if you're going <clears> to, <throat> first off, you want to gain weight calories, second, protein. There's more wiggle room as far as the carbs and fats go. Yeah, exactly. Carbs are going to be more important for muscle building. What about you, Teach? Uh, no, I definitely like to keep the uh, the ratios carb and protein protein heavy. I mean, yeah. there's no other way to, to build uh, muscle that way. You know, you can't just overload the fat and think that you're going to be building muscle that way. So no, you fat's got to fat's got to be relatively low, and you have to put, you know, so. If it comes down to like percentages, like yeah, I like to keep protein around like thirty percent. Yeah. Carbs around so if it's like a, you know fifty, thirty, twenty, right? Yeah. Just like a standard. Like if you just want to start out, and then you can tweak from there. Yeah. You know whether you want to go, hey, maybe let's do thirty-five, and let's go, maybe uh, maybe fifteen uh, percent protein, uh, or excuse me, fifteen percent fat, um, and then you can switch it out from there. Even kind of dip into your carbs. Figure out kind of what what works for you. Like, do you respond more? <laughs> When you're eating more uh, carbs and protein, uh, is it, you know, are you reducing uh, carbs to maybe increase 
calories on or increased percentages on protein to to get a little bit more protein synthesis. Obviously, it's just kind of how you tweak and and uh, tweak that diet. So yeah, generally, the smaller the person is, or the less calories, I should say, that they have in their budget, yeah, the higher percentage is going to come from a protein. Yeah, true. So look at your protein almost as like an absolutely necessary expense. Mm-hmm. If you're making less money, a higher percentage of your money spent is going to be spent on the necessary expenses, uh, uh, like a, a roof like over that. your head, yeah, uh, gasoline so for like your car, uh, groceries at Aldi. Yeah. Uh, but as <laughs> you make Aldi. more money, Aldi's you, getting you, all can, sorts of plugs yeah, you can spend more. Maybe <clears throat> you you uh, go on a sweet vacation True. or you, you go to the movies more often. Look at those things as maybe more fun foods, but you can budget them in more because you have more calories to spend. Protein's also going to be really important the less calories you have mm-hmm. just because it's more uh, satiating. Yeah, very and true. It, like you said, it's the king for uh, increasing muscle protein synthesis. Um, I think that's kind of like if you're if you're looking for the preferred ratio, obviously it's, it's going to be higher on the end of carbs and protein. You kind of want your carbs, yeah. I'd say, no what, no lower than like 40 to 45%. Yeah, it, it depends uh, how many yeah. calories they have to spend. I mean, once you check out the boxes for your protein, your minimal fat dose for normal hormonal processes, right. what's left, that, that's typically carbs. For athletes, they're usually more active. They're going to have, they're going to be spending more, so they're probably going to be intaking more to support that right. lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Maybe for someone that's like 60 years old, that's sedentary, they're going to have less okay. to spend. All right. Well, no, that's uh, that's good. Anything kind of to add on that muscle foods? Um, not really. There's one, one thing I want to just uh, bring up. There's a study that was done in 2012. They analyzed uh, people that weren't training. Uh, each group had the same amount of calories per day. One group, 25% of their calories came from protein. One group, 15%. One group, 5%. The group that uh, had 25% of protein uh, calories actually gained muscle, a statistically significant amount. Oh. Whereas the group that only had 5% of their calories come from protein, they lost. And no, what was really interesting to me was no one in the study was weight training. They were all between the ages of 18 and 39. Um, so relatively young, but the fact is people were gaining muscle without doing anything just because they were hitting their protein. Now, these were probably untrained populations. They weren't right. trained, but still, it just goes to show protein, protein, protein. Protein. Got to have it. Got to yeah, have it. There we go. <clears throat> All right. Well, I think that kind of brings us into our next section, the uh, Mikey Swell Muscle Rant. Mike, take it away. Burden of proof. Burden of proof. Uh, so this one... This is a subject that oftentimes it seems to uh, get under a lot of the scientists on social media, gets under their skin. Uh, People get frustrated because people don't understand what the burden of proof is. So the burden of proof, I have the definition from Oxford pulled up right now. It's the obligation to prove one's assertion. What that means is if you're going to make a claim, you have to be the one that's going to back up that claim. Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) What? You can't just make claims. And unfortunately, um, we live in a society, a culture where that is not understood. And what ends up happening is you'll see a lot of influencers, so to speak, on social media. They have a huge following. Maybe they look healthy. They look fit. And they end up shelling out some type of fat diet program. Or they end up shelling out something that they don't understand, like, 
the microbiome or the gut, or they, they sell detox supplements or fit teas. Uh, they, uh, you'll see these influencers, and this is broad, I'm not specific enough right now, so this isn't fair, but this is just something that I've noticed. So this is anecdotal. Uh, so I, I actually should have some burden of proof to support what I'm saying. But anyways, you'll see people oftentimes making claims on products that they know nothing about from a biological standpoint, a physiological standpoint, and they don't understand the mechanism of which. And a lot of stuff we don't understand the mechanism. That's fine to an extent. But people get offended when you call them out, uh, when you say, please support your claims. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, you'll see this a lot where someone will be trying to sell some type of detox supplement and then you'll see uh, someone that's very intelligent um, in that realm, maybe from like Renaissance Periodization, uh, Food Science Babe. I or, recommend following her. She's or, a just someone, or just someone who, you know, just knows their knows knows stuff. Knows their stuff, exactly. And they'll say, uh, could you provide citations, please? Yeah. And what I really hate is when the person that's making the claim says, go do your own research. Or like, no, prove me wrong. Prove like, me wrong. Yeah, wait, what? And then... Uh, that doesn't make sense. And then, and then that person, if they're respectful or they're very patient, they'll respond back with citations saying, okay, here's some evidence uh, maybe going against your claim. Yeah, it should be uh, easy. Yeah, so what do you think about these citations? And... Then they get blocked. <laughs> yeah, or, they, they block or, or you, the, or they say, "Oh, that's hate speech," or they say, or they try to it use just, it. Just devolves into either name calling or name calling. There's cognitive ca- character, character, uh, or they think that they're being paid. Um, and I think that's uh, really gross. Yeah, and what I wish we good. could do as a society is it's okay to be wrong. What it's not okay to be is to be wrong. Uh, face overwhelming contradictory evidence and stay wrong um, if the evidence is not supporting you. So there's been many times where I've made claims and I thought I had a decent supporting evidence and someone has actually shown me that the evidence on maybe the other side is a little bit stronger. Maybe my evidence wasn't as strong. Uh, I love that because that means I'm going to stop being wrong. Yeah, we, we live in a society learning. that doesn't really care about truth. Uh, we care about emotion. We confuse thinking with feeling. Um, we we just want to be right, and a lot of it comes down to dollar bills as well. Oftentimes, influencers, if they maybe spent a year promoting some product or some plan, they made some money off of it. They're being paid to do posts. Uh, they're too far deep because of the dollar bill to change. It doesn't matter how strong the evidence is. It's very disappointing, but the takeaway for our listeners is this. If you're going to make a claim, make sure that you can back up that claim with actual evidence. So there's different tiers of evidence. You have your anecdotal evidence, which is your weakest. It doesn't really mean a whole lot. Uh, anecdotal evidence is why bloodletting was part of society for hundreds of years. Yeah, it's basically like I, you know, I... I observe this, or the, it worked for me. Yeah. So, um, so there was, there is evidence, right? But it's not backed by any type of scientific testing or experimenting. Yeah. And what scientific testing? Uh, what we mean by that is following the scientific method, where there's a proposed theory that maybe has been viewed in nature, and then from there mm-hmm. you set up a study where there's controls in place to figure out uh, if X change is happening because of variable Y. Right. Uh, or whatnot. Um, and then from there, 
uh, if you're going to make a claim, make sure, yeah, so if you're anecdotal, uh, make sure that you fully understand the literature on both sides and maybe there's multiple sides maybe it's not like black mm-hmm. and white maybe there's other angles maybe you need to understand context unless you can fully understand the context of a claim you can understand the physiological biological mechanisms taking place and you have a firm grasp i would be weary and maybe not even share that claim uh well i think you also have to be objective too you have to be objective and um you learn by being wrong, not by being right. So it's okay, again, to make wrong claims every now and then, as long as you're actively trying to maybe disprove your claims. Oh, yeah, you're, uh, open, you're open to new data. You're open to new data. You're open to maybe you didn't read all the data. Or maybe you misanalyzed or misinterpreted the data. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's statistical significance in something that you're saying, but the effect size is so minimal that really it's not really there. Uh, I really like Dr. Lane Norton. He was once quoted as saying uh, he's done more research trying to disprove his theories than prove his theories correctly. That's good. He tries to prove himself wrong. That's good. Because he'd rather find out that he's wrong about something than have someone else show him that he's wrong. Yeah. Uh, so for him, there's probably some pride there, but I, I think that's incredibly uh, ethical, that type of an approach. Yeah, Absolutely. And that's coming from one of the most intelligent researchers to ever live. Yeah. So if the most intelligent researcher to ever live, one of them has that approach, I think we all can adopt that approach. And then on the flip side, if you see someone that's coming out with a crazy claim, trying to make money, and you ask for citations, I recommend trying to engage respectfully as possible. Oftentimes I'll see very intelligent people call out poor claims, but they do it in a way of narcissism or anger, which is... Or authority. Authority. You know? Yeah, they try to flash their education, which they have the right to do that. And if someone's stating claims that's harming people uh, physically or just scamming people, then they have a right to be angry. But I'm trying to look for an effect here. If you spit with anger, you call out people with anger, that's just going to get them more riled up and more passionate about the BS that they're selling. So there's a psychological component here where I recommend trying to find common ground with people, trying to keep things respectful. Um, I think that way you're going to be more likely to get people to maybe change their approach or reconsider the evidence. Anger and shouting, I said it early before, um, it'll get you blocked. And if you're blocked, you're going to lose influence. Yeah, or just, I mean, just people lose respect for you. I think you're always, if you're, if you're debating someone, uh, the, you know, with the burden of proof and everything like that, you're always debating, not to change the person you're debating's mind, but to have someone who's witnessing that third party is going to hear that information. That's, that's a great point. And that's what you want. That's, that's who you're really convincing. So You want to, yeah, the people that are watching, because you don't know who's watching, and then you want to try to get that person making the claim to at least re-examine the evidence. Right. Um, if they change right off the bat, it either shows that mm-hmm. maybe they, they're just not very well-versed. People that change that quickly, that, that bothers right. me too. Mm-hmm. That, that worries me. But at least get them to re-examine the, the evidence. Right. Um, I think that can be of benefit. Uh, anyways, that's the Mikey Swell Muscle Rant of the Day. The burden of proof. Always make sure that you prove your claims and, and, and call out anyone who says that you have to prove them wrong. Exactly. 
All right. Uh, now going on to our new segment, this versus that, or this or that. Um, we're doing uh, uh, blood flow restriction training or occlusion training versus drop sets. So two kind of similar, similar style trainings. They're different, but somewhat similar. Uh, I think we'll go into we're gonna go into the two, how they're different, how they're similar, and which one would we would pick. But sure, I kind of going kind of going into this before we talked about Mike uh, talking about uh, BFR training. So Mike, why don't you kind of kind of go into what what it is and and uh, how you train it? Yeah, so BFR training it stands for blood flow restriction. It's a form of training. It really goes back to katsu training, which started in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, the way it works is you occlude the muscle group that you want to build so if i'm training my arms what i'll do is i'll take some type of band or cuff Mm -hmm. uh you put it around your deltoid tuberosity and it restricts oxygen um to the trained muscle so the way it works there's a couple mechanisms that are proposed as far as why it may increase uh muscle hypertrophy uh, the, me- the mechanisms that I have read in the literature, some of them have more support or evidence than others, mm-hmm. uh, is one, restricting oxygen. So you have different types of muscle fibers. You have your aerobic fibers, type 1. You have your more anaerobic fibers, just meaning without oxygen, uh, and your type 2A, type 2X. Right. Um, if you're restricting oxygen, it allows you potentially to... Uh, more quickly stimulate those fast twitch fibers which seem to hypertrophy and grow quicker okay so if you keen in on those that may be a mechanism for hypertrophy another one is it seems to uh, build up metabolites uh, specifically lactate which has been shown to uh, increase intramuscular growth hormone um, it may also increase heat shock proteins nos1 uh, there's one study in animals that showed that it de or inhibited upon the myostatin gene. If you inhibit upon that, that may also unlock uh, greater muscle protein synthesis. Okay. Uh, the way it works, BFR training, and which, what makes it nice is you can take a very low load, like 15 to 30% of your training max. Right. And you still get a hypertrophic outcome, uh, muscle building effect. Uh, the intensity has to be high enough, so you're going to want to push it. Um, probably lots of reps, yeah. no less than maybe 15 to 20. Um, so it's quite painful. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if you think you're, like, think about getting your your uh, blood pressure measured. Yeah. Then. There's certain muscles that I wouldn't do BFR with. I wouldn't do neck training with BFR. <laughs> uh, apparently Jeffrey Epstein may have tried to do that. Oh, my gosh. It didn't end too well, or potentially maybe someone helped spot him on that. I think someone definitely helped spot him on that. <laughs> someone may have spotted Epstein on BFR for the neck, and it didn't end well, so I, I wouldn't do the neck. And, 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 Mike, you also did a video back, uh, back on the uh, MSP tip day. Yeah. If you dig through the MSP Instagram, there should be a, a video of Mike doing BFR neck training with Bob. Remember yeah, Bob? Bob, yeah, the big uh, punching doll big thing. Big punching dummy. Yeah, punching dummy. Yeah, he, he did pretty well with that. Go look there. Go search the archives for that. Yeah, he didn't complain, <laughs> so he did it. I helped him. Spot him like Epstein. But anyways, uh, when you do it for that, you can't really do it for chest. Uh, yeah. But you can do it for arms, arms legs. legs, calves. Mm-hmm. Um, the only way you can kind of do it for chest is if you're doing push-ups or bench and you occlude your arms. 
that'll cause your triceps to fatigue really quickly. Right. And then maybe because you pre-fatigue those, you, you end up focusing or getting more activation on the pectorals. Yeah. So there's potential there. It's like mm-hmm. almost like a side effect for increasing chest where you include a different muscle, you get a positive chest stimulus. Right. But yeah, that's BFR. Do you want to talk about uh, drop sets? Yes. Yeah, so drop sets are when you start out at an initial weight and you go into a muscle failure and then you kind of drop the weight to a lower weight so you can um, achieve a little bit more volume each time. So, you know, you could start at 100 pounds on like a bench press. You know, you do a certain amount of, of reps until you can't do any more, rack it drop about 10 maybe 20 pounds depending on how many drop sets you plan on doing and you work your way all the way down to um uh to get a little bit more hypertrophic effect uh out of that set so um you can do it for pretty much any workout as long as it's uh as long as it's feasible like uh, there's times where you, you one either need some help like there's times where you could do like a drop set for deadlift I mean, you want to kind of do it as fast as possible because you still want to keep that uh, that stimulus uh, on the body. But um, it's basically starting at a certain weight, working your way down, building up volume, and uh, trying to get uh, the muscle to have a more hyper, uh, hypertrophic effect at the uh, yeah. at the end of the set. So. Um, I mean, that's, I mean, you can do it for pretty much, like I said, pretty much any exercise as long as it's, it's feasible and you're not taking too much time, like either changing weights or anything like that. So, um, uh, so how do you think, uh, so obviously like real quick, I mean, how, how are these going to be different? I'll talk about how they're similar and then talk about, why don't you talk about how they're different? Yeah. Um, so they're going to be a little bit different. They're, they're more similar, I would say, than they are different. The, 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 the difference... That's why I gave you the harder one. I know. <laughs> Got a lot for similarities. So uh, differences, uh, the obvious, first off, with BFR, you're occluding the muscle. Mm-hmm. So you're probably still going to get oxygen to the target muscle with a drop set. Um, of course, you're going to pleat that oxygen as well mm-hmm. uh, via the drop set. But... You're still getting oxygen to the area. BFR sets are usually built around extremely high reps, um, lighter weight. Mm -hmm. Drop sets, you're probably going to go a little bit heavier. True. Um, You can, BFR, you're more limited. Drop sets, you can pretty much do it for uh, every uh, muscle group. BFR, you're more stuck with uh, arms, legs. Uh, Yeah, those are probably the, the major differences. I think, uh, like when you talk about similarities, I think probably the uh, the lactate lactate uh, yeah. production, as far as you know, pushing past fatigue or pushing the muscle in a uh, in a, I guess what what would be the disadvantaged state, you know, not yeah. being able to access all the blood and all the nutrients and oxygen that it would normally be able to have during that during that movement, um, and then also the added volume and stimulus of the of the of the increased reps that you would get through um, lowering the weight and allowing your muscles to recruit more fibers and then uh, accruing more stimulus and obviously more more lactate through uh, those additional reps so I think you're gonna get um, a similar uh, a very similar shock and stimulus to the muscle with those added reps and volume um, and then also <clears throat> you're kind of working it it in a higher rep range you know obviously initially with the, the heavier weight um, on the drop sets but working your way up obviously adding maybe as you take off weight you maybe add five reps 
depending yeah. on what you're doing, whether it's squats, uh, overhead press, whatever. Um, and then it'll probably somewhat equal out the same because you're probably going to do probably what a, a giant set for a hypertrophy. Uh, sorry, a, a BFR. Yeah, BFR. Yeah, you're, you're doing less weight. You're not really dropping down the weight. You could combine the two. That'd be pretty gnarly. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, like you said, giant set. Oftentimes you'll see people superset going back and forth between mm-hmm. biceps, triceps. True. Uh, because it's not the most comfortable having BFR cuffs on, uh, you're usually going to try to just go back and forth relatively quickly. Yeah. Um, there seems to be some extra benefit there mm-hmm. as well doing it that way. Uh, one more difference BFR is probably going to be used more so for physical uh, therapy. Uh, rehab. Very true, very true. Fair amount of research showing it there just because, again, you're using such a low load. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to get a lot of nutrients to the muscle very quickly and effectively that way. Yeah, and, um, and obviously, yeah, the low intensity is going to be huge because you're yeah, exactly. probably going to be recovering from an injury. Yeah, so that's <laughs> usually you want to keep the intensity relatively low starting out. So it's a nice way to jack up your gains. Yeah, exactly. Away from an injury. Exactly. Right, so, uh, One so. more way they're similar to is they both take yeah, very little time. Ahead. Yeah, very true. So I think yeah, that's they, probably... they can be done very quick. They're quick, which is, I think, the biggest benefit. That is huge. I mean, convenience. Always convenience is going to be the biggest benefit for doing drop sets in BFR. I like it. Yeah. Um, all right, now it comes down to a million-dollar question. Which would you pick? Um, neither. Boom. You heard it. <laughs> Mikey ain't doing none of that. No, yeah. So <laughs> I think there's several mechanisms for growing muscle. Metabolite buildup seems to be a potential benefit. Muscle mm-hmm. damage seems to be of no benefit. Uh, mechanical tension overload seems to be of the most benefit. The issue with doing a ton of drop sets and a ton of BFR is it creates a lot of damage. Yeah. And it's tough to get a ton of uh, uh, volume in yeah. so the quality of the volume goes down so if I'm doing a normal set on bench maybe I do 275 for if I rest adequately I could probably do several sets of like 15 to 25 reps if I do it a down set or a drop set that is drop set after my third drop set I'll probably be at like 135 pounds yeah. and I'm not going to even be doing 15 so yeah. well, lifetimes reps goes down same thing with BFR right um I guess that is a cop out. If I had to choose one, I would do BFR just because I like using it if I'm injured in any way. So yeah. if you're doing bicep yeah. tendonitis, for example, it can be nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I really like the pumps of both. Oh. Uh, so yeah. for certain muscle groups, there is probably a benefit. Like shoulders seem to respond well to metabolite buildup. Right. So maybe like a drop set on side raises. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could be good. Metabolite buildup for arms seems to potentially uh, give some benefit. Um, so yeah, for arms, shoulders, I don't know if I really have much of a preference, but I probably would lean towards BFR. Yeah. What about you? Um, uh, like obviously kind of going off what you first said like i think it just uh comes down to what muscle you're really training i think i really like doing drop sets and bfr with arms ones yeah. that you're gonna have a, a bigger sra curve yeah. you're gonna be able to train them a little bit harder maybe a little bit more often than uh, other muscle groups um yeah. i think uh I think initially drop sets are going to be a little bit easier, especially for the novice lifter. You know, it's easy to, okay, it's easy just to lower the weight, right? You yeah. just take weight off the bar. Or, you know, sometimes uh, a novice lifter, might they might just straight up 
cut off the circulation to their <laughs> arm on the blood flow restriction. If your arm turns white, not good. Yeah, if you're <laughs> white or just like just blows up and it's just like straight purple. Yeah, if you turn purple, you have if, if you if you cannot feel your hand. If it goes numb, you have ascended. <laughs> yeah, too much too much uh, too much restriction. Let let that sucker loose. Um, so, but yeah, obviously, when it comes to and that's another thing when it comes to BFR training, make sure you do it carefully. You don't want to uh, you don't want to do it to a point where you're where you're uh, doing doing some damage to your venous systems. You know, there might be some evidence to that. But either way, anytime you're you're pressing down and compressing your venous system, you know, it's probably not probably not the best, but. I mean, so far, I don't think anyone has really died from it. You know, the statistics. Yeah, there's not really anything catastrophic uh, that's been seen. That's been seen. Uh, younger, healthier populations can probably get away with more pressure. More mm-hmm. pressure does not equal better. There's right. research showing that three out of ten to seven out of ten tightness is equally uh, productive, as far as the effect goes. Yeah. Um, going to drop sets, there was one uh, study that I looked at recently comparing drop sets to normal training. And from a hypertrophic standpoint, there really wasn't much of a difference. Right. Same thing with BFR to normal training. So I think overall they're probably pretty equal. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I do like that I didn't mention is with drop sets in BFR, uh, you can train well below your absolute intensity, but the relative intensity stays high enough that you're going to get a positive stimulus. Boom. So that's huge. So they're good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would they maybe have their place. they have their place. So rehab, besides rehab, I would like to do them maybe one training block every six months. Yeah. Uh, what it'll do is it'll be fun. Yeah. Uh, you can get sweet pumps, and it'll increase your sensitivity to normal, more traditional training where you're just looking to increase mechanical tension. So I was exactly. waiting for psychologically keeping it fun. Maybe you have a time in life where you don't have a lot of time and you want to get something in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get a lot of volume in really quickly. So because of that, there there is benefit there. Boom. And uh, yeah, I mean that's that's about all I got. What about you? Yeah, same. Boom. That's uh, I think that's it. That's episode thirteen, y'all. Thank you guys for tuning in. Um, we got more more episodes coming up. We enjoy doing this, so um, we're hoping to have some guests on. We'll probably have to reach out and maybe do some uh, some web guests because. We have uh, just scheduling. Mike and I, Mike and I, record these every Wednesday. So, um, but uh, we'll have some more great content coming your way. So, Mike, uh, why don't you uh, l- uh, lead us out? Yeah, just keep getting pumps, keep growing. <laughs> All right, see you guys. <laughs>